Hello, and you're very welcome to The Week That Really Was for the week ending the 10th of November, 2023. It's been a very busy week. Today, the 9th of November, was the day that Joseph Puska was finally convicted for the murder of Ashling Murphy. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. We're going to talk about Maria Bailey winning her high court libel trial uh, following on from her resignation as a TD and some other libel matters that have arisen this week. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit about the threat of Russia rigging Irish elections, which was raised by the American government, the Irish this week. But before we get to any of that, I'm joined as ever. Because we're doing a lot of legal stuff this week, I might as well remind you that she's a barrister at law and my colleague and friend, Sarah Ryan. How are you? Grant, how are you? Are you back from Rome? I'm back from Rome. Um, did you have a lovely, lovely time? I did. It was made all the better because I think I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but the weather in Rome was actually really nice. It was like the if middle of summer. It. Yeah. It. yeah, and then I came back and it was it was absolutely appalling. So and it's every day in the last few days, definitely. Yeah, it's it's been quite unpleasant. Um. Anyway, I also got back. I was looking at some of the comments on last week's episode, and we got a usual range of them. Um, there is uh, one guy called at Reliable Sauce said, "I try to listen to you two most weeks, and this week you've won first prize for being the smuggest co-hosts on the internet. Seriously, would you listen to yourselves and cop on? I don't. First of all, I'm sorry if I'm smug. I don't know how not to be smug. Sarah, can you give me lessons and not how not to be smug? Because um, you know, it's a about. Is it my voice? Oh, we smug about last week. We were no, talking. He, he didn't. He didn't specify. Ah well. I mean, look. Sometimes we're smug. Yeah, that's it. That's it. We can't avoid it, and we're sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're we're so we're sort of we're sort of sorry. At Digibeetle09 said that I said there's no real evidence that the jab is causing lots of deaths, and he says he says he, he seems to basically accept that, but he says he he. He basically notes that the vaccine is what he says temporarily linked, as in linked in time, to a beginning of what he refers to as an increase in excess deaths, and says basically, I'm paraphrasing because it's a long comment that makes him suspicious. Um, somebody else says, uh, "Oh, know, I saw one that said that we were a government mouthpiece, which made me lol because, like, I don't think I don't think we've said much positive about government on this podcast. No, we haven't." But I want to say, we don't only get negative comments. I got an email in uh, during the week, actually on the topic of vaccines, which will come to a second, but from a guy called Garod O'Sullivan, who was writing to us from Shoreview in Minnesota. They won't give the rest of his address for obvious reasons, but he is a professor, or sorry, a, uh, a, an emetrist professor who's recently retired in comparative pathology at the University of Minnesota. Uh, he says he listens to us because that's where he gets his news from home every week. So, Garrod, we're honoured that you do. Um, and he also wrote me quite a lengthy email, uh, which, Garrod, you'll appreciate. I'm not going to read it all or even much of it at all. But basically, he was saying that as a, a professor in comparative pathology, he disagrees with me entirely from the other perspective on vaccines. He said that he sent me various papers saying essentially that the vaccine isn't perfect, but it was fantastically good, quote, at protecting against severe disease. Um, he said the disease was basically defanged and turned into something not particularly lethal at all as a result of the vaccine. So that's a different perspective. Garrod put his name to his comment, he emailed it to me, he provided a link to a bunch of evidence for it, but no, you can agree with him, disagree with him, it's there. So look, I it generated... But I think also like multiple things can be true at the same time. And like we I uh, maybe we weren't clear on this enough, but like we did believe in the vaccine because we got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like obviously I quipped that it was just so I could go to a restaurant, but it wasn't really like there was definitely, you know, 
there's definitely strong evidence to suggest at the time that you know we we slated it on the basis of it you know killing your granny if you didn't get the vaccine which was proven to not be true but we didn't what we didn't give it credit for was reducing the strength of the virus when you got it and that seems to have been the case so like it can have done that and also you know be problematic you know what i mean and also have been oversold because i think i think my what I've said about it consistently is, I mean, we were told, and don't don't tell me we weren't told, we were told on television and on the radio that it would prevent transmission. Um, and we were told that by the experts, and it didn't. Um, and I, I, I think whether it was effective or wasn't, and I tend to agree, agree with Garode, I think I think, I think think he's on to something there. I think there's a lot of evidence for the position he's taking. But uh, I think a lot of damage was done in public confidence in vaccines by the degree to which it was, number one, oversold and number two mandated. I think those were huge public policy mistakes that the scientific community are, and the public policy community are going to have to come to terms with. Anyway, that was last week's discussion about vaccines. We're not going to drag it into this week. Yeah. Um, tell me uh, what you thought about the verdict in the Puska trial. I thought it was good. I thought it was, um, you know, like obviously, you know, due process required and everything, but the evidence was pretty damning. Um, I think I loved that the judge was, you know, said that he was happy that the jury had only taken two hours so they didn't give too much more of their time to his nonsense, you know, suggesting that while he was killing a woman that he was helping her, you know, when those the two witnesses saw with their own eyes what he was doing, you know, he's just, my problem with this will be the sentence. Um, well, it's not mandatory, is he not getting life? Yeah, but life isn't life. He should be in jail for the rest of his human life, if you know what I mean, but he won't be. Um, This is where, I mean, you know, there's a whole thing we could talk about with the lack of prison places because we were told this week that the government is actually releasing people on temporary release because there's no room. There's something like 4,800 prison places in the state and something like 5,500 people who've been sentenced to prison time at the moment. And we know it's pretty hard, by the way, to be sentenced to jail in Ireland, but they're actually letting people out and they, they're not building more prisons, um, which is a, just, I think, is a, I think is a huge mistake. But yeah, you, so you think he, he'll he serve, what, 12 years, 18? I'd say it'd be more like 25, something like that. Well, well, well let's wait and see. But yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. I don't want to put you on the spot as a lawyer, but to what extent is it up to the judge? I mean, it's a mandatory sentence of, of life. And then after that, what happens? Is the parole board in charge? Is it the Minister for Justice? How does that work? no. That's a good question, actually, John. You are putting me on the spot. No, it's up to the judge within within parameters for murder. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I don't. I can't remember the numbers. Like it's 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 a straight murder charge. So I'd have to I'd have to remind myself now. I was actually looking up immigration law this week because I had a meeting about something, and I was like, "It's amazing how legislation and, and law goes out of your head if you're not practicing it every day." Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so yeah, there's no there's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. No, I, 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 anyway, it's clear he's going to get a mandatory life sentence, which I think is the reason, I think is the reason why he didn't plead guilty. Because this, it's mandatory whether you plead guilty or plead innocent or not guilty. Um, you're basically in a charge, in a case like that, you're playing with house money. I mean, you, you might as well take a swing at it and hope that you get a rogue juror somewhere who buys your cock and bull story. Um, or, you know, thinks they're really smart by buying your reasonable doubt argument. And maybe you get off. Uh, or maybe you get a, a, a you know a hung jury or something, um, but that didn't happen. Didn't work for him. That's what I think. I'm not saying for a fact, but I think I think that's the that's the. I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, like who cares about him? I think it's justice for her family. You know, it was it, like it was a real case of its. It was a it was a kind of a case that changed us a bit. I think, and um, it was just one of those one of those cases. You know what I mean? That changed yeah. Ireland. 
and changed people the way they thought about um the way they thought about I don't know their safety. So it's good that the result was the result, if you know what I mean. No, I, I completely agree with you um about that. But what I would say is that I was struck over the last couple of weeks because obviously when, when a trial is on a grip, we can't report anything. We can't offer opinions on the trial. The, the law is there and the law is there for a reason. But I was struck by the number of people who approached me and they were almost all women. Uh, and that's, It's not that only women approached me, but it, it was almost all women who said to me, do you think he might get off? With real worry um, in their voices. Like the thought, there's a so chance. On what, what basis did they think he would get away with it? That, that his lawyers were spinning this this tale about, you know, he was actually trying to help her and there was no murder weapon and there was no motive. And, you know, is it possible that will create reasonable doubt? And what I kept saying to those people was, I think this is really important, not one of them thought he was innocent. They all just thought he might get off, which I thought was sort of interesting because... He, he, the jury is basically you, right? And if you don't think he's innocent, there's a fair chance the jury doesn't think he's innocent. I mean, I remember by contrast back during the Graham Dwyer trial, uh, which is, must be nearly 10 years ago now, I was struck by the number of people, like educated people, who said to me at the time, I don't really think it would be safe to convict him. Now, they were a minority, but they were there. People who said, look, there's in that case, which you won't go back over, but basically there was no evidence of the cause of death. Um, there was just the implication that he had killed her. Um, whereas here, there was a cause of death. There were eyewitnesses, all the rest of it. But I was still struck by the number of people who said to me, I'm worried he might get off. Um, the fear of that was palpable in the country. And I think a lot of people breathed a sigh of relief to that um, when the jury... But do, you, but do you not think that some of that is a kind of a media construct that people get away with things like that all the time when that's not really true? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a kind of a construct created that... You know, people murder women all the time and get away with it. And if you actually look at the evidence, it's not it's not really the case. And and murder like that by a stranger is exceptionally rare. It really is. Um, the Graham Dwyer thing is a completely different thing. What I what I found astounding about that was there was very little evidence against him. And also, if he had pleaded, um, you know, uh, like if he had said it was an accident, there would have been no evidence against that. Mm-hmm. But he went for it anyway. He did, and by the way, I think the right decision was arrived there. <laughs> there, we're going to talk about the Graham Dwyer case. It's 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 long in history, but but that said, I, I do think there was a prospect, a legal prospect of reasonable doubt. In this case, I don't think that existed. But no. I also I, I also think that the most chilling thing about it is the the lack of the one thing that was never really discussed at trial was motive. And I see a couple of pieces on RT and the Irish Times even today after the trial has come out. To nobody knows why he did this. There was, yeah. We do know. I mean, the other thing right throughout the trial, and we can't, uh, and I want people to understand, we can't report stuff that is material to the trial while the trial is going on. But people kept asking, did he know her? Were his kids in her school? Did she report him to social services? The answer is no. There was no prior existing relationship uh, or any knowledge of, of between these two people at all. And the other thing that we can be, say with certainty is there was no sexual element to it. There was no sexual assault of Ashley Murphy, which is, I suppose, the closest you can get in such a horrible case to a silver lining. Um, and I, I know that's a terrible phrase, and I don't mean it yeah. that way. But but it's it, it, there was there was nothing. It was it was it was just he killed a woman for no apparent reason at all. And that's that's the thing I think that's really unsettling. Nobody knows why. But he just went out one day and just decided I'm going to kill someone. Yeah, I mean, misogyny does exist, right? I mean, I know it's a phrase that I think a lot of people on the right roll their eyes at because it's thrown around so much as an explanation for everything. But it does exist. There are men out there who just don't like women. We see it. We see it a lot in. Yeah, well, that of course there is. There's women who hate men. Like, I mean, to, to go, there's both. Of course they exist. It's the question is. We've had this conversation before. The question is, to what extent, if you're a woman, like 
I am, you allow it to consume your day to day life and that you see it in everything that happens to you. Sometimes, you know, a man pulls out in front of me in traffic and doesn't let me go just because he's a bit of a dick, not because I'm a woman. Do you know what I mean? And so on and so on. If you see misogyny everywhere, it will be everywhere. And that's that's what I have an issue with. But of course it exists. And of course, there are men who are violent to women and obviously in this case for absolutely no reason but i don't think it's as i think that there's a there's a narrative you know in irish society across the board not just when it comes to this but in in other ways that it exists that it's if you're a woman misogyny is just a part of your day-to-day life from the moment you open your eyes in the morning till the minute you go to sleep at night and as a 40 year old irish woman that has not been my experience no and i would say as well in in relation to all this i i I've talked to some men about it to, well, not not that I sat down and said, I want to talk to you for the Ashley Murphy trial, but it's come up over the course of the sort of 22 months since the incident happened. The narrative afterwards was, was all about sort of, you know, men need to be better, men need to be X, Y, and Z, which is, you know, as a general rule, men should be well behaved. No one will dispute that. But I was struck by the number of men who said something to me that, like, obviously they accept that women are at much more of a risk than men. I mean, in my own marriage, for example, my wife uh, does a lot of photography. And that means when we were in Rome, for example, last week, she would go out to, because in, in photography, the time of day is very important. The best shots are early in the morning or just as dusk is falling. Um, so she would get up and she would go off to the Colosseum or somewhere to take pictures just as dawn was was breaking. And I hate that because I'm conscious she's a woman on her own in a strange city. And I feel like I should be going with her. And she tells me, no, you're not going with me. But the flip side is... If it were me out there at that hour of the morning, she would have no reason to worry um, because men simply aren't targeted that way as often, if at all. Um, and I was struck by the number of men who, in the aftermath of the Ashley Murphy trial, said to me, yeah, we absolutely appreciate women are more at risk. But there's an awful lot of fathers and husbands and brothers who live with that fear as well for a person that they they love. Um, and I think that's a, it's an important counterpoint to make to the sort of men need to be better Um this is a societal issue. It's not only one position. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so anyway, you're saying it's it's great for her family, and it is. But I mean, I I, I just I I think they'll spend the rest of their lives trying to answer that question of why it wasn't answered in court, and it probably never will be answered. Sadly, I think that's and the it's, worst. Bit. And it's so like you know based on chance. Like she didn't know her, as you said. There was no motive. So. Just that run, that minute, that day, that time. Like how you make sense of that, I don't know. There was evidence presented in the trial, and people may have missed this if they weren't following it every day to day, that he had actually been seen following two other women that same day very, very closely. Um, and one of them noticed that he was following her and was unnerved by it. The other one didn't notice at all. It was just on CCTV. But what was really chilling was the words from the guard of sources who told the media that in their view, those two women were exceptionally lucky, um, which, which indicates to me that the guards believe that he was out that day to kill a woman. Um, but like, why? It's so yeah, well, this is it. And 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 he must have known he probably wasn't going to get away with it. So what was the point? Wasn't there a man like that though a few years ago who killed a woman up in the Wicklow Mountains, and he just woke up one day and was like, "Today's the day." There was the case of, of I, I I can't remember that specific case, but it sounds familiar. But there was the case in in the in the US last year of Audrey Hale. The um, she I'm going to refer to her as the transgender school shooter, but I I am I, I, not implying at all that she shot up school because she was transgender, uh, or he or whatever whatever gender he was born as she was born as. 
Um, but like that was predict- they, they, they released um, a sort of manifesto from that person this week, which just literally said, "I'm going to kill a load of kids in the school today." I was, you know, it was like eight a.m. Have breakfast, nine o'clock, you're up. Ten o'clock, get the car. Eleven o'clock, arrive at school. It was chilling in its sort of simplicity. There was no actual reason given. It was just here's what I'm going to do, and what, you know, I have it all planned. Some people are just mad, um, or mad is mad is perhaps the best word we can use to describe something that we don't understand. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I just it's it's the randomness of it that is terrifying, terrifying that people like that can exist. And I don't know, but like the only like thing to remember is how rare it is. Um, like women are killed by men. Don't get me wrong. But stranger, a stranger murdering you like that is exceptionally rare. You're much more at risk, sadly, than your own husband, not you. And hopefully not my wife, but 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 statistically. No, but statistically, yeah, it's not. You're not statistically going to get murdered by a stranger. You're statistically going to make, be murdered by a male relative of some description. Anyway, look, we could depress ourselves more and more talking about it, but we'll move on. We'll just say it's great that the family got justice, and I think the country breathed a sigh of relief. As this week did um, a former TD, Maria Bailey. She won her libel case against the Irish Daily Mirror uh, because they had said that she. I'm not going to repeat the libel that will be walking into being sued myself. But they had basically um, indicated that in their view, her people might remember um, Swingate. They had basically implied falsely that she had exaggerated her injuries and was was taking a false claim against uh, the hotel. And the court this week ruled that no, that was libelous. She was injured. She was taking a legitimate claim against the hotel. Do you think she's in any way vindicated by that? I think vindicated, maybe. I mean, it certainly was the beginning of the end of her whole career. So, like, it, you know, there's no doubt that she suffered loss as a result of their actions. I also think it's important as a as a as a to make the point and and for newspapers to be, you know, like slapped a bit on these kind of pylons that happen without real due diligence being done on the facts. Mm. And, you know, she was a good example. And there's been others since with different politicians and different things where, you know, the media just run with things the, the mob gets something in, in their head and the media start running with things. And, you know, it's, it's good for them to, to be made an example of that. You can't do that. And, you know, so I think I think she's I think she's vindicated. Yeah. But I also think that, you know, it's a very small drop in the ocean, but it's still, you know, a a, 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 a symbol, a symbol of of that the media should be doing more work and more. You know, I, I understand that newspapers are competing with social media and everything's moving at a pace or whatever, but you can't just write things that you feel like. Well, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I have some empathy, not with what the Mirror wrote, but I have some empathy with their editor uh, or the person who who signed off on that story because I know what happened because I, yeah. do, I do the same job every day. I mean, when these mob pylons happen, the, the, what the actual story is changes very quickly in the public mind to what the imagined story is. Mm-hmm. And so the, the facts of the case, the, basically what she was being criticised for was not taking a fraudulent um, uh insurance claim. Her insurance claim was perfectly legitimate. The question was whether whether she should have been taking it at all or whether perhaps it might have been her own fault that she fell off this way. Um, 
And, and but, also it was just for her bad luck that it was that particular swing in that yeah. particular restaurant because she's a South Dublin TD and South Dublin women have a kind of a special relationship with that swing in that restaurant. So it was, you know, they felt personally victimised by the swing being criticised, I think. <laughs> I wasn't aware of that bit of the story. But anyway, um, I think the uh, I think what happened, though, was that you basically got, I don't know who wrote the piece, and I might be wrong. What I suspect, based on being an editor myself and dealing with this sort of stuff from time to time, is that somebody writing a column or writing a news report kind of misunderstood the story of what she was being criticised about and then just decided to throw in words that had no basis in fact, you know, to say, oh, you took a dodgy claim or whatever. Which is I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking for just to clarify because there are probably like there possibly are some people listening who don't know where there is a restaurant in Dublin that has a swing like exactly like you imagine a swing, um, in the kind of foyer of the restaurant and people sit on the swing and take their photo or whatever and she fell off this swing and so just in case nobody people are listening who don't understand what we're talking about and are imagining a swing in a park or something it's a swing in a restaurant yes and as a result of that sorry i, I normally i normally remind people of the story before but but as a result of that uh, she was then deselected by her own political party was not allowed to run for re-election as a candidate for Fine Gael, which is the governing party and was roundly criticised by members of her own party, and basically her political career was ended as a result of this decision. And I might add as well, because I'm I'm very friendly with people who uh, were on Dunleary Ratdown County Council with her, and she was very, very highly regarded by her colleagues as as a, as a councillor, if you know what I mean, like mm-hmm. her ability as a councillor, her understanding of the council, of the way things work, and, and her c- kind of commitment to it, and her... Um, her helpfulness to other colleagues was really, really complimented by everybody I know. So it was a shame, really. It was. And look, I think she made I think she made a bad political decision because I mean it is it is a political topic in the country. I mean there's a lot you talk to any small business, they'll say insurance costs will kill them above anything else. Um that's the biggest constant problem they have is insurance costs, trying to get insurance. Is one one of the reasons, for example, that childcare costs are so high is the is the constant risk of a child having a, a catastrophic accident in a childcare facility? Therefore, insurance costs are through the roof, and that drives up prices for customers. It drives up prices for for you, Sarah, when you want to leave your kids in childcare. Drives up prices for restaurants, shops, the whole lot. So it's a legitimate political issue, and one of the one of the the biggest bugbears of anyone in business is, and I'm not saying this is what Maria Bailey's injuries were for clarity, but one of their biggest bugbears are so-called slip and fall injuries, where somebody slips and hurts their hip, and the courts award them forty grand, and that's happened. Um, oh. And so, so there was a there was a perception that this was the nature of the claim that she was taking, that it was in the sort of slip and fall category. She fell off a swing, now she's suing, and that's why it was politically harmful. Um, yeah, it was, it, was in, it was in it was with the backdrop of a huge amount of insurance fights. I mean, I my kids are young, and you're 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 lucky enough to never have probably have been in a soft play centre, but um, there was a number of soft play centres that. I certainly used for survival when I had two very small kids and, you know, you go in, there's a coffee shop and the whole place is just soft and the kids can run around and play. And the insurance on those places went absolutely out of control. And a number of them, one in particular close to me, just closed. So Mm -hmm. annoying. So with that in the background, she just had to happen to have this claim and it just it took off 
as a, as a story. And as we clearly see now, people ran with it when they shouldn't have. And it was ultimately was the end of her career. And, you know, like you win your defamation case if you're able to demonstrate that you've suffered loss. And she clearly did. She did. Um, so, I mean, I think she has been vindicated in a sense, in, in the sense that the pylon was deeply wrong. I think the criticism of her, like some degree of criticism was absolutely legitimate. I think she owed the public an explanation when it became a story. I don't think her communication strategy was very good at providing that that explanation. But I also want to say something which I think is really important because the way in which she is a victim in my mind is this. She, um, she was the plaintiff in this case. Yes, that's true. But her solicitors was the firm of solicitors owned by her Fine Gael colleague, Josita Madigan, who is a solicitor. Um, and as well as being a TD and junior minister, he's also a solicitor. Um, and that firm of solicitors did not receive any criticism, even though I'm not aware of anyone in the history of the world who would ever take a legal case uh, when their solicitors tell them they don't have a case. That's the, the first point. And the second point is, like the way her own party turned on her was really, really distasteful in my view. The Taoiseach turned on her. Simon yeah. Coveney, who yeah. I understand is related to her by blood, um, turned on her. Um, I thought it was it was just it was a real example of somebody being unfairly victimized. Yes, there was legitimate criticism to be had of her, don't get me wrong, but there's a difference between legitimate criticism and a pylon mob. And I think we had a pylon mob and I'm glad she got some recompense because she said herself she couldn't go outside the door for months after. People who've never been at the center of a pylon, Sarah, don't understand what it's like. They they they've no idea how, how terrifying it can be. Yeah, I mean, another thing, by the way, I'd say, and this isn't particularly popular, but I'm going to say it anyway, is just because you're a TD or a politician doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to make claims. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There was definitely an element of that, like, let's look through all the claims that TDs have made and see what they are. But like, if I, you know, if I'm a TD or a minister and some, and I suffer, you know, a bad injury because of someone else's negligence, I'm entitled to take those that case. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it's 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 it's, and there is an element of that. There is an element of you know how dare you um you know I think it comes down to what I call government jet syndrome. I mean, there, uh, look, I can see the yeah, comments coming in. There's an element of that. It's like sure, aren't you earning enough already? Why are you making a claim? Uh, yeah. Sorry, I don't buy that at all. Like you should be if you if you're, like I said, if you've suffered. You should be able to make a claim and it's irrelevant. And I mm. think that some of the commentary was, you know, more begrudgery than actually, you know, being concerned about the nature of her claim. Obviously, it didn't help if it was being, you know, claimed otherwise in newspapers. Fine. But like, you know, if she had a legitimate, we don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of that thing, but she's entitled to make claims just because she's a like regardless of the fact that she's a politician or not no i mean i think i think i think that's that's very clear and that's my that's certainly that's certainly atmosphere at the time john would have been that if you'd been a td around that time going on and you'd been rear-ended by somebody and you'd been rear-ended by somebody and they came along like you'd probably be like oh listen let's just leave it because you'd be terrified of what it would look like and then all of a sudden they're starting to write articles about how you're you know someone some poor unfortunate man's insurance is going up because the big rich TD is trying to get him you know what I mean so you'd yeah. stay away from it that's not right either that's that's what happens I mean and look I, I can see the comments rolling in YouTube already that we're pro-government and we're pro all this and you know they're causing all the problems in the country and we're sticking up for them and look I I get I get that but I think it's important but it's to say pro government or not, John, because it's to do with pro. It's to do like the, somebody else will be in government next month, next year, the year after potentially, mm -hmm. and I'll say the same thing. It's about 
the standards, you know, that we hold people to and the standards we expect of ourselves when we're criticizing people. Mm -hmm. And you can criticize government policy on insurance all day. And I will. And I do. But like this kind of thing of going after TD is just a nonsense. And it's just should be beneath all of us. That doesn't mean I'm standing up for the government. It just means I have a view on what way we should behave. And I also think so much of it misses the point. We never get a pile on about ministerial incompetence. No minister ever gets driven out of office for persistent failure over a period of years. It's always something stupid like this. Now, Marie Bailey wasn't a minister. She was a TD. It's always something dumb like this, which I think, and I'm sorry, I'm going to say, I think that reflects on the voters. I think it reflects it. You, you want to know why we have all these problems in the country? I mean, it, look at the electorate. Look what the electorate prioritizes. Because they, they, they very rarely will throw a politician out of office for something as minimalistic as incompetence. But, you know, a, a, you know, a missed... I dotted or T crossed on an expenses claim and, you know, we're out with the pitchforks and the and the torches. And that, I think, fundamentally goes to an issue with the political culture. Because if you continue to focus on all this minutiae, if, you, if, you, if you're if you one of those people who believes that, you know, the country be fixed, we get rid of the government jet and have TV, TV salaries, then you're missing the bigger point. The bigger point is that all that stuff is a distraction, which gets you all worked up when the issue is incompetence. Um, and and I, I I think I think this is a, a good example of that. Anyway, what about your old mate Chris Andrews? My old mate. <laughs> well, the irony of it is actually is that you know so some background. He he he. They were he was my mate. Um, we, he was good friends with my family, and like you know we we were all friendly and. The Andrews were in politics and we were in politics and, you know, like he was a friend of the family very much. His dad was very, very good friends with my dad. And, you know, that kind of friend where when I was younger, I got tickets to, I think, Oasis. And I was kind of like not old enough to go to a concert on my own, but I really, really wanted to go. And he was, my mum and dad asked him to bring me and my three mates because he was kind of cool enough. That's the level. So he brought us to the concert. So just to be clear, we were friends and like, you know, growing up, his family and my family were friendly. And then we weren't because for a variety of reasons, but culminating in Chris Andrews setting up a fake Twitter account to um, make comments to people, uh, other people and me included um, and under a fake account, which he subsequently was caught. And then he, you know, left Fianna Fáil in inverted commas and joined Sinn Féin. Um, but um, he is this week, I which I tweeted about this this week because I just think it's ironic that the guy who didn't have the integrity or the courage to make comments himself to the people he wanted to when he was in politics or in the, you know, years ago is now not just suing the Irish Times, but suing Harry McGee personally for a defamatory comment he is claiming was made by Harry McGee in an article that was published relating to, um, I'm not I'm not going to exactly what you said. I'm not going to get into what was said, but it was regarding the Israel-Palestine conflict. And um, I, I read the article. I, I couldn't find anything particularly defamatory. Yeah. Defamation has to be, number one, uh, untrue, and number two, has to lower your reputation in the eyes of a reasonable person. That's the standard, which all of us in the media are sadly very aware of. Um, that's uh, probably probably correctly very aware of because both those things, nobody wants to publish an untrue thing that lowers somebody's reputation. That would be wrong even if it wasn't. Definitely. Are you deliberately lining up a joke where I could make a joke about his reputation already being lowered in the eyes of society with his fake Twitter account or, or am I just imagining that? Well, you've just ruined the joke by making it now, haven't you? <laughs> but um, but I, I also think there's a, there's a reasonable question um, as to whether it is defamatory in Ireland to basically say somebody is exclusively pro-Palestinian. Is that defamatory? I mean, you know, the the the, the, the 
leader of his own party is exceedingly pro-Palestinian and she's on course to be elected the next Taoiseach. So it's clearly not lowering her reputation in the eyes of two people. Or extremely pro-Palestine. That's not defamatory, surely. I don't think that was the exact formulation of words that was used, to be fair, but it was certainly the implication. Anyway, Um, it's, 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 it's besides the point, really, because the point is that normally when you sue... When you're defamed in a newspaper, you sue the newspaper. It's it's not commonplace to sue the to personally sue the journalist, and it's a bit of a concern. That's the real story. Well, I'm I have to say I find all this very ironic, and I I, I want to say I, I share all your views about Deputy Andrews, but I do find this concern about Harry McGee being sued to be a bit ironic. Not because I I don't like Harry McGee; he's a very fine journalist. Uh, I, I've many dealings with Harry over the years. You couldn't ask for a nicer ask to meet a nicer guy. Yeah, I, 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 in in okay. my I've never, I've never encountered anything that he's written which I thought was unfair. He's, I think he's scrupulously fair, and I wouldn't say very, that very would, fair, and always has been very, very fair. I wouldn't say that about every political correspondent, as you know, sir. Mm. But, but the reason I find it ironic is not because of the defence of Harry McGee, although maybe it's because he's he's so well thought of that this defence is being made. But the exact same thing happened to me um, two years ago. It happened to. Myself and my colleague Gary Kavanagh, we were both sued along with Gript um, in relation to an article we published about an individual. Now, the case was dropped, hasn't gone anywhere, it isn't going to go anywhere, um, but it happened and it was stressful. Uh, so it's not it's not as new as the NUJ or something making it out to be. And in mm. fact, the case that was taken against us was widely publicized in the media, almost with some glee. Um, yeah, and, but, they don't, but, that, but that's because it's you, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Like That's yeah. because it's you and Gript and you're just, you know, we're just, we're just this... Um, I got uh, there was a, uh, somebody giving out to me recently, uh, and telling me about how you know what a disappointment I am about doing a podcast for Grift and how sure no one's listening to it, no one's reading it, no one's listening to it, no one's reading it, no one's listening to it. And I was like, mate, you're like you're so concerned, it's so obvious. Like, and uh, I see the numbers, and they are they are listening to it, and they are reading. I'm sorry for you, but they are like. They don't care about a defamation case against you personally, John, because they that's that's great. And the typical Irish way, you know, they, they, like spectacularly missing the principled point, which is that journalists themselves shouldn't be personally sued. But it only matters when it's someone important to them. And I, I share your views on Harry McGee, and I think he's a really good, really fair journalist. Absolutely. And I think this is wrong. And I think that the precedent that it should not be set that people like you can't be a journalist who's going to worry about losing his house if he writes an article. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's true. And the other point here is is just the we've talked about it in relation to other things, but I can tell you, having been through various defamation matters um, as as the editor of Grit, um, the process is the punishment. Yeah, because a defamation case doesn't see the inside of court for at least at, at the very very shortest eighteen months, and if that's if you're very very lucky, it could be five six years. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you think about if people think about the Sean, case Sean Gallagher took about the 2011 presidential election. Um, when Orsini basically settled with him and apologized in the end, um, that took seven years. Um, and and if you're the defendant in the case and you're a, you're you're just somebody on income working as a journalist for a publication, that's seven years of your life. It's seven years of legal fees. And I I hope and assume that the Irish Times will indemnify him for his costs. Mm-hmm. But they he didn't publish that article. It went through. He he wrote it and he because again I speak from experience because this is how it happens in in Crypt. He wrote the article. He submitted it to his editor. It was then checked. It was read. Uh, is there anything in here that we shouldn't be publishing? Are there typos in it? Blah, blah, blah. And, and, the, and the Irish Times, by the way, has a much more thorough process because they've got more people than Grip does. Went through okay. sub-editors. It went through a news editor, probably signed off by the political editor. Um, so Harry McGee may have written the piece, but he didn't publish it. Um, and, and this, I think, is very relevant because in defamation, the crime is publication. Yeah. You 
Well, there's no defamation if it's not published. Absolutely. I mean, I could, if if you and I weren't being listened to by several thousand people right now or over the next week, and I was just to say to you on the phone, I think Joe Bloggs is a (laughs) paedophile. That's not defamation as long as you don't tell tell Joe Bloggs I said it and never find out. But if I yeah. if I was to name a Joe Blogs and say he's a paedophile on this, then I've published it, um, and that's defamation. That, now, it's the act of publishing that's the that's that makes it relevant. I mean, here I am lecturing the lawyer, but this is an area I've sadly become familiar with over the last couple of years, and I, I just think oh, it's an it's area also, where. But it's also the the you know seven years, and even like, and by the time you know that you get to the end, no one even cares anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's it, it's it's it's. Depending on which side you are, as you say, the process is the punishment. But it's 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 the separation of the journalist that's of concern, and I think that that's a legitimate concern. And I think it's like mind-bogglingly silly and foolish of a t- of a of, of a TD to do this mm-hmm. because I think long term, no journalist because journalists obviously stick together. I think no journalist will do you a favor ever again. Mm. You know what I mean? Like. Because you've gone after a journalist personally, like I, 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 I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a smart move. But not, uh, not just any journalist. I mean, like I, 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 I bow to nobody. As anyone who follows me on social media or reads a word I write knows, I bow to nobody in my criticism of the Irish media. I think a lot of journalists are terrible, but Harry McGee ain't one of them, and he's highly respected yeah. across all parties, across all newspapers, because he ain't terrible. So you're not going after any. You're not going after like you know some freshman out of, straight out of the DCU journalism school who's done something silly writing for the Daily Mail. You're, you're going oh, after I, somebody who's who's very senior. And I um, wouldn't expect any less from a clown like Chris Andrews to be perfectly <laughs> honest. But um, but the other thing about defamation law, Sarah, I, I mean, aside from that, is that if you're on the other side, by the way, that that eight, the length of time it takes is ridiculous as well because. Like, if you're suing somebody because they've said something defamatory about you, and then four years later they're forced yeah. to apologize. Yeah. I mean, chances are everyone has forgotten it was said in the first place. Totally. You they defend somebody by saying they're having an affair and their wife, by the time they get there, they've divorced and gotten a new one. Like, yeah. what was the point? Like, um, it, it, it's bizarre. And I, I, I do think, I know I'm talking to a lawyer, but like, I think the legal system in this country is so badly in need of reform. I will pass that on. I'll pass that feedback on. You to pass that on to the lawyers. Yeah. The lawyers <laughs> Um, I'll tell them all. Poor old Alan Shatter tried and he got shut down. But there's another like good brain. Like he had a lot of really good legal ideas. He wanted to introduce lots of interesting stuff and gone out. Like th- th- this is the point that we if we if we focus on the wrong things, we lose people who are smart. It doesn't mean I agree with everything Alan Shatter did. So before you start sending in comments about things that he did. I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying he was a good legal mind. I always no. found Alan Shatter to be a politician who, like, he never had a mediocre idea. Yeah. His ideas were always really, really, really good. And some of his proposals for legal reform, for example, were really, really good or absolutely terrible. There's no in-between with Alan Shatter. But he had ideas. Um, I mean, he, but he's, you know, he's been replaced now by Helen McEntee and the country is presumably safer for it. Um, that was you know. That was the smug thing, John. That was the smug moment there. That was. That was. Anyway. For this, for this week's smugness, that's it. And, no, and, and, also, and, me, and me also getting to put the knife into Chris Andrews still, once again, because someone said to me the other day on Twitter, they're like, are you are you are you still are you not letting that go or something in it? And so if you're listening, no, I'm not actually. I became yeah, absolutely those... sensed one day when Chris Andrews, when it was going on, said on the radio that he'd apologize to everyone concerned and I hadn't heard from him. So that I no, I'm not letting it go. Just I'm, an aside, before we move on to our final topic, 
the Roman statesman, consul and temporary dictator, I believe it was somebody who's familiar with classics is going to embarrass me about this wrong. But I'm attributing it to the Roman statesman, uh, consul and dictator Lucius Cornelius Sulla, who had written on his headstone the phrase, no better friend, no worse enemy. That is also Sarah Ryan. Uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so Chris Andrews is, is never going to be forgiven, I think. Uh, nor should he be. Anyway, he might, however, be replaced um, because this week we learned, courtesy of the American Embassy, that the Russian the Russians are going to rig Irish elections. Um, there was a severe warning of this in the Irish Times, I think, on Monday, um, that the Irish government has been informed that the Kremlin is um, seriously considering measures to uh, influence the outcome of the next Irish general election. So we head down to the Russian embassy and tell them what pro-Russians we are and see if we can get jobs out of it. Yeah, or, or like, and they just go in like kind of have a kind of a fantasy football league, like like have your picks and decide like who who you want and who you don't want. Yeah. Is there yeah. anybody, who would be your top three must have, I know this is going to get us in there, this is going to be too troublesome, isn't it? Um, is there anybody like, per, all right, I'll, I'll speak. That, you, mean, you mean if the Russians were going to rig the elections, who would I want them to rig it for? Yeah, asking me? Yeah. I would like this country to like to have basically abolished the doll and placed the country <laughs> under the benevolent dictatorship of George Hook. There uh, you go. I don't know if, if Vladimir, if you're listening, if you're like, you can work that. Um, but uh, I, I don't no, think that's know, likely. Certain things like I like uh, Keith and I have had conversations before where I we because uh, because as you say I'm 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 mean sometimes but I'm not that mean and I've I always say to Keith just do me one favor because I have personal experience of it and it's not nice if people lose their seat don't gloat at them on Twitter it's horrible just people lose their seats people lose their seats that's fine don't write you know don't write about it don't tag them in comments on Twitter it's just unsavory to me um but in the past there have been people as you know in private that i've been extremely happy about them losing their seats and um, one I, I don't mind saying was catherine's pound and mm. um, for a variety of reasons take your pick but so there'd be people that like i'd be i'd be kind of you know not devastated for, to see them lose and then there'd be people that i told on to but i don't really what i don't really understand about that story is there's no is there any suggestion as to whom they would be doing that for no, and I think it's going to be really interesting because I think some people are going to, I mean, it depends on where your incentives lie, right? I think there's a couple of things about this. First of all, I think the, the, the there's a degree in which you could almost feel it with that story. There's some people in the country who are kind of like openly concerned, but like also a little bit chuffed that Ireland is important enough for the Russians to want to rig our elections. But I also think there's, there's competing incentives. So I think if you're in the media and you're one of those people who's terrified about the old four Reich as um, spelled F-O-R-R-O-Y-S-H, um, you want to say that they're going to try and rig the elections for, I don't know, Justin Barrett and the National Oh, Justin Barrett doesn't run the National Party anymore. I forgot about that. Um, or or yeah. the Irish Freedom Party or some some kind of populist anti-immigration outlet that the Russians will be 100% behind them. But I think if you're in Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael, you probably want to imply that the Russians are kind of like liking themselves a bit of Mary Lou. I know, yeah. But, uh, like, but why would they bother? Well... <laughs> So, no, talk it out. Like this is the thing. Talk it through. There's no suggestion that it'd be. So why why would the Russians be like? You know what? See that country there? That small one. Yeah, let's get in there. Like I, 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 it makes no sense to me for a couple of reasons. The first one is that this country has not exactly been. Yes, we've been rhetorically hostile to Russian interests, but we haven't exactly been supplying the Ukrainian army with a bunch of arms. Um, second of all, I think there's a perfectly re- good reason why the Russians would want to leave us as we are, which is that. If you are the Russians, 
and you're looking across the globe and you're trying to focus your intelligence efforts. A small, relatively pro-Western country on good terms with the Brits and the Americans that has absolutely no national security infrastructure we're talking about, that can't protect its undersea cables, that, you know, has an... Chief of Guard intelligence position this week that's being advertised in the UK because there's no one qualified to fill it here. I think you're probably saying, yeah, we'd quite like the idea of loads of American and UK intelligence flowing through that country and being shared with that government because it's probably more penetrable than, for example, Poland or France. Yes. Um, I'm not saying that they have or that they would, but I mean, it, I don't know what the benefit is of putting in a pro Kremlin regime in Ireland. I don't know what Russia gains from that. And also, I think they'd probably miscalculate because the nature of Irish politics, sadly, is that I think the Foreign Office determines what our foreign policy is. And while I'm sure that if Sinn Féin take power, we'll become a little bit more pro-Gaza in our rhetoric, maybe recognise a Palestinian state, um, maybe be more critical of NATO, I don't think we are either going to expel the Israeli ambassador under Sinn Féin government or suddenly turn pro-Putinist in our approach to Ukraine. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think, you know, the. I think uh, if the Russians are disappointed, a lot of Sinn Féin voters will be disappointed by that as well. But I think I, I, I would be surprised if that happens. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, I think... And, and sorry, the last point is there's absolutely no point. Uh, and this is not to... I'm not going to say that the Irish Freedom Party won't take any seats in an election. I don't know what will happen in the election. They may well. Same is true of the National Party or any other fringe right-wing movement. But there's no prospect of them being in government. So why would they bother? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that the you know people groups that will be highly influential you know whether we like it or not in elections tend to be um you know of the social media company variety as opposed to countries like Russia my view yeah and i mean i think that's where where a lot of this propaganda is being fought i mean i you know some of the biggest accounts on social media these days, I mean, the, the one account which is much bigger than Elon Musk's actually in terms of reach at the moment is a, is an over, an account that is overtly pro-Stalinist and, and overtly, without any apology, kind of publishes misinformation and lies in a particular direction. Um, and there's an audience for it because there's a lot of people who uh, out there who I think they're not pro-Russia because they love uh, Moscow or want to spend their summers in St. Petersburg. It's more sort of expression of their rejection of what Western society has become. They're they're like, you know, we we don't like the decadent society in which we live. We much prefer the idea of sort of an authoritarian, strong regime that cracks down on crime. And, you know, there's a sort of a fantasy of a a sort of return to authoritarianism that comes with the the Russians. Um, The people, some people on the right, sadly, find attractive. Um, And then on the left, there's a sort of reflexive anti-Americanism and Russia is the enemy of the weak of America, therefore Russia must be good. So I don't think there's there's much sort of actual pro-Russianism in, you know, we like what Russia believes and what it's doing. I think it's much more reflexive anti-Western stuff. Yeah, I mean... Look, I think that the 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 specter of Russia, you know, in, in influencing our elections is going to be a good yarn between now and then. But um, anything to make the elections a bit more exciting, because to be honest, as I've said before, like the idea of kind of like a same old same old election where Fianna Fáil's phrase is whatever it's all an Ireland for all, and you know it just all goes along the same, and then Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil make a government again. It's very depressing. Yeah, but the, 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 I agree with you. But there's another element about this which I think is quite sinister. I'm just going to say it. I think it's I think it's sinister, which is that the accusation when you talk about Russia rigging Irish elections um, or British elections or American or whatever, the the accusation is always made by sort of the people in power that oh, if Russia is trying to undermine our elections, that kind of means you can't trust what you're hearing from the opposition. 
because you don't know they could be on the Kremlin's payroll. And so when you talk about undermining trust in Western elections, it actually allows the government undermine trust in the in the election because it lets them and I'm not they would never say it outright, but it lets them give dark warnings about misinformation and um foreign influence and all this sort of stuff that is intended to make a, a sort of trusting voter look skeptically at what the opposition is saying as if, you know, uh, is Mary Lou MacDonald really saying that or is there a, a puppet? I'm using her as an yeah. example. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so, so it actually has all this stuff about, like, this is the really sinister thing about it, all this stuff about misinformation and disinformation and fake news is designed by the establishment to undermine trust in their own opposition. While they talk about the importance of trust and 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 sensible news, it's 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 a complete inversion of what they say. What they say is happening. Yeah, yeah. Being what yeah. they do themselves. Yeah. So, yeah. but it's that like that's kind of the similar point to what I was making earlier on, which is about women and about you know misogyny and fear. Is that if you hear all the time that you should be fearful, you start to be fearful. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like that. The, there's a there's a there's a kind of a the the, the narrative becomes the 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 thing that's giving you anxiety as opposed to the reality of it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it is what it is. Um, and it's going to keep going because I think the journalists in particular, I, I think it's not unrelated to sort of the, the the overall reduction in trust levels in the media and media readership and all the rest of it. Journalists in particular are hugely incentivized to build up this sort of fake news story, primarily so they can extract funding from the government because it's so important to have trustworthy sources of news. Um, and so the narrative isn't going away. Uh, That's why we keep we keep on paying for people in RTE to get flip flops at their parties. Yes, yes. Oh, I should mention. I know uh, we said we'd discuss various topics at the start, and we got through them. But I was very amused today to see that the JNLR listenership figures are out. Sarah, did you see that? No, pray tell. Yes. So Ryan Tuberty's old slot on RTE since he left. How do you think that went? Who's doing it? Uh, no one's doing it permanently. They've had an array of hosts, including. Uh, Oliver Callan is one of them, and then I, I, others. I I don't listen, so I don't know. I know Oliver Callan is doing some of it, and then it's been divided amongst others. How uh, much do you think they're down? Is it in percentages? Any any figure? Just give it. Th- I'll tell you what. It's it's thirteen thousand. Except they're not down at all. They're up thirteen thousand. Oh my god! You're joking. So- no, they're up. Yeah, okay. So I mean, I I just think that's. What's the, but what's the what's what's your explanation for that? Well, I don't have an explanation for why they're up, but I think it's terrible news for everyone else in RTE on a massive salary. It's just punctured a hole in the idea that uh, you're on a massive salary because you draw listeners that somebody lower paid couldn't. But it's it's, just, are people listening in to see who's there? But like that wouldn't. Yeah, they just that wouldn't make sense. They'd just be flicking on for a minute then. Yeah, there could be a bit of that. But I mean, uh, the, the the fact is with RTE, all those radio slots, their biggest draw of listeners is not the host. It's inertia. It's that people, some people listen to Radio 1, some people listen to News Talk, some people listen to Today Event. It's very hard to get people's change. But also uh, they listen at certain times. So yeah. like if I listen to the radio, um, which I kind of, I, I go through phases, but like the kids go, the kids start school at 10 to 9. So the drop is at 10 to 9. I'm usually back at the house by 9. So that means that I automatically tend to be listening to the radio at 9 while I clean up the breakfast stuff, do you follow? Like, it's yeah. not because I'm tuning in at 9 o'clock because I want to hear Morning Ireland mm-hmm. with a particular person. It's that that's the time that I actually listen to the radio. If I'm picking the kids up at quarter past two, uh, like, and I turn on the radio, Joe Duffy's on, that's because I'm in the car. It's not because I'm tuning in because I want to hear from Joe Duffy. 
Yeah. For me, I don't listen to the radio because I'm at home most of the day working. But when yeah. I used to, when I used to leave the house to go to work, I always I probably would have had news talks drive time program, which is now Kieran Cuddy, and then would have been George um, on. But but like George Hook is the only I mentioned earlier he should be dictator of the country. I don't want to sound like a mega fan. I'm not. I, I, George is a great guy. Uh, he's a great guy, but he's the only he's also the only radio program I've ever actually tuned into to listen to what George is saying about something or other. Uh, that's just not true of anyone else in the Irish media landscape before. Since. Oh no! Sometimes there's I dis sometimes you and I have a friend in common um, that shares this with me, um, that sometimes there's real comedy and listening to Joe Duffy about certain things. Yeah. Sometimes when something happens. There has been times in my life, John, where I have been under my desk at work with a fist stuffed into my mouth to stop me from laughing. At <laughs> that's things I have heard on Joe Duffy and it's yeah. not always intentionally they're not trying to be funny but they just are well I, I, I tend to see like you, you always know if live line is trending something good is happening on, on, yeah. so, so I, I listen back to the best bits I don't I, would ne- I very rarely turn it on though because it's just oh well, it's really very funny if I was living abroad now there's, there'd be things I suppose you have the player or whatever but like um, there's been moments there's just an Irish this part of Irish culture you know what I mean I love the fact that Joe Duffy every year the day after the junior cert results oh they were drunk Joe it's terrible Joe every year same thing <laughs> every year the day after Halloween oh Joe it's terrible they were lighting a fire oh terrible like there is a kind of a comforting madness in it sometimes <laughs> that I enjoy thoroughly, I won't lie. Maybe we should do a phone-in episode of the podcast some week. Yeah. Uh, so, we'll see. Anyway, leave the comments on YouTube or email them to me. You'll email them to news at gripped.ie. They will get to me um, or leave them anywhere else you see it. Uh, we always want feedback. You can tell us how smug we were this week, how boring we were, how much you loved us, how much you hated us, whatever. It's You, you have a, a right to tell us. Yeah, no, next week you have to read out some of the nice ones because apart from the email, there is loads of nice ones. There are, yeah, but I always kind of feel I, I don't like reading mm. out praise. I, 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 don't, I don't. I don't know why. I may send them to you. You can read them out. Um, no, I'm I, fine. I, I'm, I'm totally comfortable with it. My 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 mother. Uh, no, it wasn't it wasn't my my mother. I, I think of my mother because actually my grandmother who used to have this phrase like if you ever if if you ever said you did something pretty well, self praise is no praise. She'd say, um, but it's not self praise. Reading out comments from other people, and I just don't. I don't really care either way. But I just don't want to create the illusion to people who are listening and who are committed to misunderstanding us, which you know there are some think that we only get negative feedback and we don't no we don't we don't and uh, on that note thank you to all of you who do listen every week it means a lot to us um and hopefully we mean something to you as well but from now until next week that my friends was another episode of the week that really was have a great weekend talk to you next week